Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And this is what the Lord said. He said to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come unto me. I am holding on to the Welcome, everyone, to our Bible lesson for today. God gave the prophet Samuel specific guidance regarding future events. Samuel received this guidance wisely and looked for the fulfillment of the words to confirm God's choice of a king. But Samuel also wisely refused to manipulate circumstances to make what God said come to pass. Samuel felt that if this was God's word, he was able to make it happen. Saul had no relationship with the Lord, so God spoke to Saul through lost donkeys. But Samuel knew and loved the Lord, so God spoke to Samuel in his ear. Do you have a relationship with the Lord like Samuel did? Now let's join Pastor Rob. You're going to fail on that, you know, responsibility. You're going to fail on that. You're going to fail on that. And the things that you said back three weeks ago, that's not even going to happen. You already forgot about it. Hey, listen, don't even worry. Have a simple faith. You don't have to make vows to God. I've made them, and you have too. You don't need to do those things. But God initiates, and he works even in spite of this. What does it say in Romans 5, verse 8? I love this verse. God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Does that sound like we had to do something before he died for us? It's like we could make all these promises. Can you imagine seeing all of humanity standing before God and say, God, will make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and we'll even toast it on both sides. If you just give us salvation, he's like, no, I don't want that. How about I do it for you? How about I do everything for you, and all you do is receive? That's the stumbling block of humanity. People have a hard time receiving by grace through faith, realizing they have nothing to do with it. And even the faith that you have that God gave you to believe in him. So really, is there anything that we can boast in? No, he's given everything. He's given us the faith to even believe in him. And he's given us the the, the great grace of once we do believe in him, to live everlasting life, to have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but that is the best package. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called good news. Nobody has good news like that. There is only one gospel. Amen? 
It is very good news. And I love what it says. You know, and, and notice that even before we're aware of the problem, God already had the solution. What does it tell us in Revelation 13, verse 8? It says, And all that dwell upon the earth, this is speaking of the, the, the time of the tribulation around the midpoint area, it says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship the Antichrist, whose names were not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Are you kidding me? Does that mean that God, before the foundation of time, already had a rescue plan in place? Yes, that's exactly what it means. He knew, he knew exactly what was going to happen in the garden. Did it take him by surprise? Was he going, oh my gosh, I can't believe they messed it up again. What am I going to do? Oh, I know what I'll do. No, there was none of that. There was no wringing his hands. There was no freaking out. God just smiles and says, I, I've already, I already know what I'm going to do. In fact, I'm going to slay an animal, and it's going to be a foreshadowing, and I'm going to provide skins to cover you in your nakedness. And it's going to be a a type, because a couple thousand years down the road, another son is going to give his life on the cross for you to cover your shame, to cover your sin. Hmm. Sounds like you put a lot of thought into that, Lord. Yeah, just a little bit. But notice... God spoke to Samuel. Samuel was going to speak exactly what God said. He certainly wasn't looking for a gift. Some ministers, because they're not paid very great, sometimes they're always looking for a bribe. They're looking for money, looking for ways to, to get money, and it's an unfortunate thing. And pray for pastors and, and, and teachers in our country and in the world that they would be true men of God and not men of gold that money wouldn't have an effect on them, that somebody could come into the church. I've seen this happen. I've heard of stories, and they're, they're true stories, of somebody coming into the church who was a millionaire and says, you know what, I, I, you know, I just gonna, I want to donate to the church and a whole new wing, and, and, and I want my name on it. That happened to a pastor. happened to Bill Gallatin, actually, when he first started. Some man was very wealthy, wanted to do some big thing, and there were strings attached to it. It wasn't just, but he wanted to make sure everybody knew about it. And he said, no, forget it. And I can imagine this board of elders going, what? He's like, no, you can keep your money. The Lord doesn't need it. And he did. He walked away from it. I love that because that is wisdom. We cannot be bought, should not be bought, and neither was Samuel going to be bought. But notice in verse 8 back in our text, the servant answered Saul again and says, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. So you've got to pay for directions? Now again, I think they mean well. Samuel wasn't looking for anything, but out of their heart and, and the custom was to do this. So, formerly in Israel, it says in verse 9, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer, for who is now called, or for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. So, in verse 10, Samuel, or excuse me, I keep um, doing Saul and Samuel. They sound so much alike, I keep getting them twisted. I'm probably going to listen to the recording and, and, and realize that I have juxtaposed and I've, I've did some kind of ventriloquist act or... Uh, with uh, what's the word I want when, when you're dyslexic? I'm going to have all this dyslexia in the message. Um, <laughs> then Saul said to his servant, "Well said. Come, let us go." So they went to the city where the man of God was, and as they went up to the hill of the city, this the city we believe is Ramah, near Zuf. 
And so there they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry, go, for today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. And the high places, you remember, were in, in times past, they would perform pagan idolatrous rites on these high places. They weren't really supposed to worship on those places. But if you remember back in chapter 4, the Philistines really, uh, it doesn't say it in the Bible, but we know that uh, that occurred around that time when the ark was taken from them in chapter 4 of this book, that they also destroyed Shiloh. And so maybe, it, maybe they didn't have a place. Maybe they had some of the vestments, and so they put them there. Don't really know too much, but it could be. So verse 13, as soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him, the the young lady says, before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. So afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. And it's amazing to see how much Samuel was respected and looked up to in the land of Israel. How people really looked up to him. And they looked up to him because, was he good-looking? Was he gifted and talented? Was he really tall and handsome? No, he was a faithful man. And you know, people want to put, they want to trust people. I mean, it is a snare. You have to be careful and to never trust in man. Trust in God. Remember, trust is something that is earned. I remember somebody telling me one time, they ripped me off and they did something, and, and then I says, well, I can't trust you. And they're like, but, but you're a Christian. You're supposed to trust everybody. And I'm like, oh, no. No, I don't have to trust anybody. In fact, the Bible tells me, trust not in man, rather trust in God. There's a lot of Proverbs about trusting in God rather than man. Trust is something that's earned, isn't it? It is. It's earned. And the more trustworthy a person is, the more you're willing to give to them. The more you're willing to give your heart to them, to understand that, hey, this is someone I can really count on because I've seen them every single time they've been faithful. And that's important for us to do as Christians. May people look at us that way to where people could say, you know what? He's not the, not the most handsome guy in the world, but when he, says, he, when he says something, he means it. And if he can't do it, he'll, he'll be honest. And he'll, you know, he's not trying to pull my leg and be deceitful. He's obedient. He's honest. And I like that. Don't you like being around people like that? What they say is what they mean, and what they mean is what they say. It's so refreshing. There's no hidden agendas. There's no doors behind, you know, you know a, a glass. You know, like when you go into those glass of house of mirrors and the, when you go to the circus. You know, you're looking around, you see them there, but they're really over there. You have no idea what's going on. I like the, to look at somebody and you know exactly what you're getting. When I'm along, going along 490 and I look up and I see the golden arches, I know exactly what to expect. I know what they sell. I don't even need to look at the menu. I can say double quarter pounder with cheese, please, and a large fry and a Coke. Verse 14, so they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, I love this about the Lord. He spoke to him the day prior, and this is what the Lord said. He said to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, And you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come unto me. This word commander is Nagid. We know that the Messiah, the Prince, Mashiach, Nagid. It's the same kind of thing. He's going to be the head over the people, a king. And notice that he, and here's the purpose of 
Saul. This was God's purpose for Saul. Notice what it says in verse 16 in the middle of the verse, that he may serve my, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. That was his goal. That was God's understanding of his ministry. That's what he was to do. He says, for I have looked upon my people because of their cry has come to me. And why would God say something like that? To save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Why was that his purpose? Because his people were crying to him. They were crying to him. In Psalm 86, verse 15, it says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. And these are all characteristics of God that are wonderful. And God, because of the cry of his people, And he's doing the same thing here that he did during the time of the judges. Isn't that exactly what he did? When they fell into sin, they got oppressed by their enemies. God would raise up a deliverer, deliver them. There'd be a great awakening. They'd love it. And then they'd get get lazy again, fall back into sin again. And the whole thing would just keep going. It was just a, a vicious cycle. And so God is doing the same thing. They're at the place where the Philistines are continuing, continuing to just oppress them. And God was going to use Saul because the people's cry came up into his ears. Is God so mean that he's just like, you know what, I'm done with you? You know, there is a time when God will judge. There's no doubt about that. But even in his judgment, there's mercy and there's grace in it. But God is almost like beside himself when his people are crying out to him. Are you crying out to him? Are you crying out to him for the the betterment of our country, the things that we're involved in right now? Are you crying out to him? Say, Lord, you've got to fix this. Will you please fix this? He's doing the same thing here. And it just so happened that the next deliverer, the next judge, even though they would call him a king, would be Saul. And Samson had a similar calling on his life. Remember what, um, when the Lord appeared before Manoah's wife? What did she say to to her about her son Samson that would be born to her, he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So now Saul is inheriting what was left over from Samson and all those, all those line of judges. He's inheriting it, and we're not going to finally see the full end to the Philistines, their, their oppression in, in, in a major way, until David comes on the scene. Then David's going to finally finish the job. It doesn't mean that every single one is going to be gone, but they're no longer going to be a problem for Israel ever again after David is done. But Saul didn't quite finish the job. He didn't finish the job. We see in areas, and we'll see it as we go along, Saul was just a coward. He wasn't a brave man. He stood before the armies of the Philistine, and as Goliath would come out every day just taunting them, I mean, think about it. He was the guy who was taller than anybody else. And Saul would have been better to just say, you know what, I'm going to take this guy on. Lord, save them. This is what you put me in this position for. And you know what, I wonder what would have happened. History might have been different. If Saul said, you know what, I'm going to take the head off that uncircumcised Philistine. But those weren't his words. Those were David's words. A young man who was much smaller than, I'm sure when he looked up at Saul, you know, he's just a young teenage boy, but boy, was he good with a sling and a rock. And he, they tried to put the armor on him. I mean, and it just doesn't work. And David's like, you know what? I, I don't know any of this stuff, but one thing I do know is I know God is on my side and I trust in him. 
And I, this is the only thing I know. And there's this armor bearer coming out, and then Saul, or you know, Goliath behind him, and David runs. Again, I can't wait to get the replay on that, the slow motion replay. I want to see it where David just wings back and in slow motion, just the expression on his face, the veins coming out of his neck, just in, and just lets it rip and just smacks Saul square in the forehead, down like a brick. I want to see it in 4K high fidelity. So verse 17, so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. And God was going to give Saul to the people because that's what they asked for. And even though Saul was Israel's first king, his kingdom was not to last. And why is that? You remember that what happened after Saul, then there came David, and then after David came Solomon. And what happened after Solomon's reign? The, 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 the monarchy split into two different things, the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and the northern ten tribes. And the northern ten tribes were taken over by a man named Jeroboam. And what does it say in 1 Kings eleven twenty six about Jeroboam? Was he a man of, of Judah? No, he was a man of Ephraim. And you'll, you'll see my point here in just a minute. But it says in 1 Kings eleven twenty six, And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephrathite of Zerida, Solomon's servant. So this man wasn't even from the line of Judah. He was from the line of Ephraim. And you may be going, what's your point? Well, the first three kings of the northern ten tribes were... Jeroboam, he was from Ephraim. His son, Nadab, he was from Ephraim. And then Baasha, the third one, he was from the tribe of Issachar. But we have a problem. Because what, what did Jacob say on his deathbed? It's recorded for us in Genesis 49, verse 10. It says the scepter. He's speaking of Judah now. Remember, Jacob is on his deathbed, and he's given all of his 12 sons, basically prophesying over them. And what does he say to Judah? He says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh, which is a reference of Jesus, till Shiloh come, and unto him shall all the gathering of the people be. So the scepter is a right to rule. A scepter is that, that rod that is held out, that Ahasuerus held out to Esther to allow her to approach him. It has power. There's meaning behind that. It's the right to rule. It is uh, for many things, but it's a mark of authority. And it was through the line of Judah. Judah, not Ephraim. And yet God gave Jeroboam the same promise, if you will obey me, I'll prosper you. And your kids and your kids after them, I'll bless them all if you obey me. And what happened? Jeroboam made the golden calf, put one up in Dan where we visit when we go to Israel. We visit that altar there. And he put another one down in Bethel. And he was the worst. And ever since then, the, the northern ten tribes never, ever recovered. They were always evil. Every single king was evil. Not one single king from the northern ten tribes was good. So then Saul, verse 18, drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Saul, or excuse me, Saul didn't even know who Samuel was. Hey, can you tell me where the seer is? Um, you're looking at him. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you what is all in your heart. I love that. It's amazing that Saul had no idea who Samuel was, and yet he lived only like 10 miles away from him. 
But as for your donkeys, Samuel said to Saul, but as for your donkeys that were lost, oh, by the way, three days ago, how'd you know that? Hmm, the Lord must have spoken to him. Hmm. The donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't worry about them. Don't be anxious about them, for they've been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? <laughs> and the thing that was really on the mind of Saul during this whole trip is, where's my father's donkeys? And Samuel now just tells him, oh, by the way, don't worry about the donkeys. They've been found. And I can imagine, oh, thank God. I got something more important to tell you. going to talk to you. Something the Lord showed me, told me to tell you. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Remember at the end of Judges, the, the, the tribe of Benjamin was almost wiped out completely because of their shenanigans. So they were really small. And now Saul is like the smallest of his father's tribe. So Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought him to, into the hall and had him sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. And there were about 30 persons. So this was a great honor for Saul to be held in honor by Samuel. And you would sit up there in the prominent place there at the feast. And that's where they put him and his servant. And this is a really big deal. And so I imagine Saul is starting to think, what's going on here? Don't quite know what's going on here. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. And so Saul ate with Samuel that day. And this was interesting because this was all prearranged. And how could it be prearranged? Because God spoke to Samuel the day before. He told him exactly what was going to happen, how it was going to happen. So Saul, or Samuel, excuse me, as a good man, as a good prophet, says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey God. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And that's exactly what he did. And the right thigh was a, uh, a very great piece of the, of the sacrifice that would normally be given to uh, Levi and his sons, the sons of Aaron. You can read about that in Leviticus 7, verse 32 and 33. But it's amazing uh, even how at the Last Supper, Jesus put Judas as the guest of honor among the group. He was seated immediately to Jesus' left, to right to the left of him at the table, and Saul, or Samuel, does the same thing with Saul. He puts him in this place of prominence. Verse 25, so when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on top of the house, which was his house, uh, Samuel's house. And so they arose early, and it was about the dawning of the day. So they stayed overnight there with a, a stomach full of really good meat. And then he knows the donkeys are found. So Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And so Saul arose, and both of them, the Saul and his servant, they went outside, and he, uh, he and Samuel. And the last verse here, it says, And they, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on ahead. But you stay here a while, that I may announce to you the word of the Lord. And we're going to stop there tonight, um, but we're going to look at chapter uh, 10, because we're going to take communion. But it's going to be interesting that God is going to, um, he's going to anoint Saul. He's going to ask Samuel to anoint Saul. God knew exactly what, he, what the people wanted. He was going to give it to them. And it's going to be really uncomfortable as we read chapter 10 because 
uh, I hear Samuel rehearsing before the people in front of Saul the behavior of a king. And that's exactly what Saul did. God knew in advance exactly what this king would do. Can you imagine sitting there hearing that and thinking to yourself, well, that's not going to be me, that's not going to be me, that's not going to be me. And then after a few years, you're like, oh my gosh, that's, I did that. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.